We're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, February 15th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Sitka Assembly will give $25,000 to support the Alaska Trollers Association's Legal Defense Fund. The group unanimously approved the funding in a final vote last night. The Alaska Trollers Association is an intervener in a lawsuit that a Washington-based nonprofit brought against the National Marine Fisheries Service three years ago. The Wild Fish Conservancy aims to protect an endangered population of killer whales in Puget Sound by targeting the southeast troll fishery. In December, a U.S. District Court judge issued a recommendation that could shut the troll fishery down until nymphs make some policy changes. Since Sitka's assembly signaled interest in supporting the trollers last month, more Southeast communities have jumped on board. ATA President Matt Donahoe thanked the assembly for spurring action throughout the region. Sitka led the way on this, and, and I, I, I sincerely thank you for it, because I, I, I've lived in Southeast Alaska for, I think, 50 years now, roughly, and I don't remember anything like this in that 50 years. In early February, the Petersburg and Ketchikan Borough Assemblies approved resolutions supporting trollers in the lawsuit. Ketchikan's Assembly also plans to consider its own $25,000 donation later this month, and Wrangell's Assembly will consider a $7,000 donation at a meeting this Friday. Other local organizations have garnered support for the group, like the Elks Lodge and the Seafood Producers Co-op. Their board voted to donate $59,000. Right now, a final decision on the court case is pending. And in late January, Governor Mike Dunleavy said the state is preparing to appeal the lawsuit to the Supreme Court if necessary. We'll have more coverage of last night's Sitka Assembly meeting on Raven News tonight at 518. The Sitka Tribe of Alaska is concerned that a proposed extension of the Sitka Seawalk will destroy one of the few remaining cultural sites on the town's waterfront. The tribe and the Sitka Assembly conferred on this and other matters during their semi-annual government-to-government meeting on Monday. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The Sitka Seawalk currently runs from Sitka National Historical Park to the Sitka Public Library. It's a waterfront enhancement funded largely through the local share of the head tax on cruise passengers levied by the state. A proposed extension of the Seawalk would create a new path around the outside of the O'Connell Bridge, essentially the last sliver of undeveloped waterfront in downtown Sitka. State planners noted that rock fill for the proposed route would impact a bed of eelgrass in the area, considered essential fish habitat for herring. And there was also something else, as Jeff Feldpouch, the tribe's natural resources director, explained. They did find a man-made rock wall um, that extends off that point just from the the base of the bridge, uh, kind of back towards the street or the road. I think uh, the state had gone back through and did some additional testing. We were concerned that that rock wall was probably part of a uh, a clam garden. A clam garden is created by terracing a beach in an intertidal area with walls made from large stones. It's a form of mariculture used by the indigenous peoples of the Pacific Northwest for millennia. Tribal Council member Fred Olson Jr. noted the irony in that some places in Southeast were trying to enhance their waterfronts with recreations of nature or history, like the whale sculpture in Juneau. But Sitka had the real thing and was putting it at risk. Instead of inventing something for tourists to look at, you have actual history to look at and just don't pave over it, you know. Sitka's waterfront has been substantially modified and filled in over the years. Early in the last century, waves used to lap at the base of Castle Hill and at the back of the stores along Lincoln Street. 
Now, most of the area from Crescent Harbor to Eliason Harbor has been filled in for streets and public buildings, like Harrigan Centennial Hall and the library. While the Seawalk doesn't seem like a very big project relative to the overall development of Sitka's waterfront, some tribal council members nevertheless felt very protective about what little of the natural environment remains. Councilmember Martha Moses suggested that the construction of the Seawalk has already come with a cultural cost. When the Seawalk was being developed out the Totem Park and there was that little hill right there that had the, the huckleberries and the blueberries and when you had your elder go with you, you had a little trail that you could take your elder and they can go pick their own bucket, but that's already blasted through and there's a walkway through there and, and that very bush is gone. So if you make these developments, they're gone forever, and our tradition is gone forever. Moses' view was echoed by fellow council member Rachel Moreno, who said she worked in summer on cruise ships and interacted with passengers who were really interested to take in Sitka's history without creating harm. They want to know that they're not having a negative impact where they visit. And if we just are so worried about creating a place for them to walk, without taking into consideration these historic sites and, and things that, that we grew up seeing and, gosh, we don't see them anymore. All us kids used to go up Blueberry Hill to pick berries and that was a safe place to go. You know, we didn't have to worry about bears or anything and so that, because of development, is gone. That's a childhood memory and I would hate to see one of the last parts of the downtown Sitka that's natural right now be destroyed. Scoping meetings were held in Sitka last fall on the Seawalk extension, and a public comment period was open through the end of the year. The state expects to have a 75% plan ready for public review by this coming spring or summer, as well as another public comment period. Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis told tribal council members that he'd be adding their concerns to those he's already heard. Just being honest, I have heard a lot of negative on this seawalk. Um, so I think it is time for us to, to, to take a hard look at that project and determine if it is right for Sitka. The Sitka Tribal Council and Sitka Municipal Assembly meet twice a year for a meal and to cover a joint agenda of issues important to each body. Other major topics covered at their February meeting included collaboration on an affordable housing summit this year, including homelessness, building redundancy into the community's broadband infrastructure, and coordinating the strategic plans of the tribe and the city. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. A Ketchikan podcaster is breaking down all things Filipino culture. Halo Halo Mix Mix started up last summer and launched a revival this year. KRVD's Reagan Miller reports. Halo Halo, a Filipino crushed ice dessert, is a refreshing, cool treat on a warm day. And that's what Archie Inoncilio wants his podcast, Halo Halo Mix Mix, to be like for Filipino listeners. So this is the Halo Halo Mix Mix podcast with your host, Archie. Um, I love Halo Halo, and it's, it's one of my favorite desserts. But here is the debate. Is it an edible dessert or is it a drink? The question was his playful opener to an upcoming episode that tackles a wide variety of topics, ranging from language barriers and education to superstitions and Filipino representation in pop culture. Inuncilio had two guests, Zarina Cabillo and Aline Alva, members of the high school's Phil Am Club. The two students both moved to the United States from the Philippines, Cabillo when she was 14 and Alva when she was 10. So, 
Is Hello Hello a drink or dessert? Alba weighed in. Oh, good question. I would say edible, because it has the ice cream. There's a lot of stuff in it. And the leche flan. Hollow Hollow was just one of the topics they took up with Annunzilio. The trio chatted with their host about topics big and small, including what it feels like to find community in Ketchikan as a Filipino person. For Alva, Ketchikan High School's Phil Am Club was a gateway to the Filipino community. Before joining, she didn't hang out with many of the other Filipino students. So that was the start when I started hanging out with Filipino and stuff. It was really scary to speak to all of them. Through the course of the podcast, the trio unpacks shared experiences. That includes a frank discussion of the different pressures they all feel when it comes to speaking Tagalog, the national language of the Philippines. Cabillo shared she still gets nervous speaking English, her second language. I talk with adults and it's fine, but if mm-hmm. I talk to like my, like the people who are like in my age, mm-hmm. they just, I don't know, understand the slang and stuff. Oh. And they would say like, oh, that's wrong. Did you mean this? And I'm like... Sorry, I'm, I just say sorry, I'm Asian. And it goes both ways. Host Inuncilio was born in Ketchikan to Filipino parents and says he struggles with Tagalog. He says he practices plenty, but still braces himself for jokes about his language skills. As, as, as an American, it doesn't feel like a joke. Mm. It, it feels like, um, it feels like I'm not being authentic enough of, mm-hmm. a, as, of a Filipino because I don't know the language, I can't speak mm. the language. The podcast episode, which is still in production, will also touch on conversations about Filipino traditions. Cabilio mentioned someone jumping with coins in their pockets when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve. I think they have to jump five times so they could get taller for that next year. Oh, man. Never works. So. It, no, I, don't, I think I stopped jumping after a while. They also talked about the darker side of Filipino superstition, like stories about a monster that preys on pregnant women and other vampire-like creatures. No, my favorite one is in Mananangal. Oh, man. Oh. Mananangal. Where it's like, it's, oh, I, I, I've had dreams about her. It's an aswang, yeah. but his lower body but is he's out. Separated from the top of that, top he half. Flies away. Yeah. The conversation touched on the growing number of Filipino people represented in mainstream TV and movies. But you, you know, it's like there's like a whole lot of like more Filipino stuff in the media now, though. Yeah. Like in the mainstream media. It's so cool. Like, I think it's because of. There's a lot of people here, and Joel Foy has been doing a great job promoting Filipino mm-hmm. culture. Reflecting, Cabillo says the Filipino community in Ketchikan is one that tries to make you feel like you're in the Philippines. But she wants the community to stretch out in Ketchikan and invite more people in. So why wouldn't we do it to like a bigger place so everybody could feel it? The Holo Holo Mix Mix podcast is a project of the Ketchikan Wellness Coalition's Strengthening Cultural Unity Task Force. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.